0: Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Uh, thanks guys, it's a, it's a privilege to come and share with you again this evening. Um, I was, I was just thinking, you know, um, as, um, <clears throat> as Brown was flattering me, that, <laughs> you know, it's amazing how, how um, there's no one indispensable in church. But I th- then I thought, but actually there is one person with whom I, with, without whom church doesn't work and that's, that's God himself. You know, if God is not in church the Holy Spirit is not here, then then it doesn't happen, then church doesn't happen. And interestingly enough, that's what I'm going to be preaching about this evening. Uh, Those who have your Bibles, you can open with me at 2 Samuel 6. It's uh, the chapter in which David brings the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. Now it's interesting, in the beginning and in the end of the Bible, God's presence is with his people in a very special way. In the beginning, it's in the Garden of Eden, um, and Adam and Eve are walking with God in the the cool of the day. And in the end of the Bible, it's the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven and God being with his people. It says, and, and he will be their God and they will be his people. Um, and God created us as human beings, not only in him, his image and in his likeness, but for his presence. We were created for God's presence. We need God's presence. We, 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 we function only... Um, Optimally, when we when we when we in God's presence, um, I thought uh, I, I thought it was a quote, actually a prayer that Saint Augustine prayed. He said, uh, "You created us for yourself, o, o Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you." You created us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. And it's interesting that um, you know there was a big move during modernism. You know, in the last couple of decades. Towards secularism, skepticism, atheism—you know—away from God. But but with postmodernism, a, a change has come, and um, a lot of people who are not necessarily Christians, or at least who don't go to church. Well, instead of saying you know I'm I have no interest in God, or so, people typically nowadays start saying I'm not religious, but I am spiritual. And what they're doing is they're starting to recognize that need for the presence of God that they have. And they, they don't necessarily know, in which, you know how to put it and how to state it. But they recognize that they, that they, they have, you know, secularism um, and so on is empty. There's an emptiness there, which needs God's presence to fill it. And, and, and we need God's presence to satisfy us, as Psalm 16, the end uh, says, in, in your presence is fullness of joy, at your right hand pleasures evermore. So um, let's read from 2 Samuel 6, verse 1 to 16. You guys have the passage up there. Um, I'll just read from that version, the Holman Christian Standard Version. It says, David again assembled all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. Uh, he and all his troops set out to bring the ark of God um, from Baal-Judah The ark is called by the name, the name of the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim. Cherubim is a Hebrew word for angels. Um, So they set the ark of God on a new cart and transported it from Abinadab's house, which was on the hill. Uzziah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the cart and uh, brought it with the ark of God from Abinadab's house on the hill. Ahio walked in front of the ark, and David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all kinds uh, of wood instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, cistrums, and cymbals. And when they had uh, came to Nakan's threshing floor, U- Uzzah reached out his reached out to the ark of God and took hold of it, because the oxen had stumbled. Then the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, and God struck him dead on the spot for his irreverence. And he died there next to the Ark of God. David was angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah, So he named the place an outburst against Usah, or Perez Uzzah, as it is uh, today, or as it is called today. David feared the Lord that day and said, How can the Ark of the Lord ever come to me? How can the Ark of the Lord ever come to me? So he was not willing to move the Ark of the Lord to the city of David. Instead, he took it, to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house, in, in his house three months, in Obed-Edom's house, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his whole family. It was reported to King David, the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's family, and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and had the ark of God brought up from Obed- Obed-Edom's house uh, to the city of David with rejoicing. When those carrying the ark of the Lord advanced six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened calf, and David was dancing with all his might before the Lord, wearing a linen ephod. Uh, he and the whole house of Israel were bringing, were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and, uh, and, and the sound of ramzons, or the sound of shofars. Father God, we just thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, that your word is living and powerful, Lord. And That it's encouraging, Lord, and instructing and nourishing, that it feeds our souls, Lord, that we don't live from bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from your mouth. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you use your living word to feed us and nourish us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So um, the Ark of the Covenant was a wooden box which was overlaid with gold and inside were the tablets of the Ten Commandments and some other things. Um, and it had two cherubim or angels that were facing each other on top of the lid, sort of kneeling and with their, with their wings sort of covering the lid and their faces sort of down, looking down on the lid. And um, the lid was called the mercy seat um, or, or the atonement seat. And the reason for that was that on the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was the only piece of furniture. And he'd take the blood... Of atonement and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and make atonement for the nation. Um, and like I said, it was the only piece of furniture in the Holy of Holies. And the the tabernacle or the temple had three sections: the outer court, where almost anyone could come in. And as you came in, there'd be like a, a brazen altar for sacrifice. And then you go in through a curtain into the holy place, where you had um, the showbread, the table of showbread, the, um, representing the Word of God. Um, the 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 table of incense representing worship, and then um, the menorah or the sevenfold candle, uh, chandelier representing the, the Holy Spirit or the illumination of the Holy Spirit. And then when you went further from the, holy of, uh, uh, from the holy place into the most holy place or the holy of holies, through another curtain, you got the Ark of the Covenant. And that represented the very presence of God himself um, in many ways in um, can't go into all the, the detail of it, but, but it represented the, the presence of, of God. And um, when I speak of the Ark, I'm referring to it as representing the presence of God. So when I say why we need the Ark of the Covenant, I'm talking about why we need the presence of God, because that's what the Ark of the Covenant represents the very presence of God Himself. So. I just want to look at three things. Well, I just want to look at this passage under sort of three headings. Firstly, um, our need for the ark. Secondly, the danger of the ark. And then thirdly, the gospel of the ark or the gospel according to the ark. So firstly, our need for the ark. Why do we need the ark? Um, A few different reasons. I'm just going to mention three. Uh, Not claiming that this is an exhaustive list, but it's sort of a representative list. Firstly, we need the ark. or We need the presence of God because of the blessing of God. God's blessing is in His presence. When God is present, He blesses. Um, when God is present and He looks favourably on something, I mean, if you think about Numbers six verse twenty-four, the ironic blessing—not the ironic blessing, the ironic blessing—you know, Aaron, Moses' brother, the blessing he had to speak over Israel—it was, "The Lord bless you and keep you." The Lord. Make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So all the pictures and so parallelism that, that, um, that is used there to portray blessing as God smiling upon us, God's presence, God looking upon us with favor um, and, 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 and with goodwill. Um, and, and the Israelites also experienced it. I mean, when they went into the promised land, they crossed the Jordan, and the Levites, carrying the Ark of the Covenant walked in front with the Ark of the Covenant and when they set their feet in the Jordan River which was in flood at that time the waters dried up and they could walk through on dry land and then they went to Jericho which was the first city they had to face which had thick walls and I mean they they weren't an organized army even you know so they didn't have siege equipment and all that kind of stuff I'm not even sure that that kind of stuff was invented at that time yet but what they had was the Ark of the Covenant and God said to uh, to, to, um, Joshua you know With the Ark of the Covenant carried by the Levites in the lead, march around the city once every day for seven days. On the seventh day you march around seven times. And then you blow the shofar, you blow the rams on. And they did that following the Ark of the Covenant. They did that and the walls of Jericho came tumbling down and the Israelites went in and they conquered Jericho. And from that led the the conquest. uh, That led to the conquest of the rest of um, the promised land. So The ark represents the presence of God, which, which is attended by the blessing of God. Now, everyone wants the blessing of God. Everyone wants to be blessed. Now, blessing is just a, a supernatural positive influence in your life, whereas cursing is a supernatural negative influence in your life. Um, and, you know, we sometimes as modern people are tempted to think that blessing and cursing are just superstition. But it's not superstition. It's real. And there's a good reason why God instituted both blessing and cursing. He blesses everything he wants to multiply and increase. So, so when it says he blessed the house of Obed-Edom, it means that things flourished and increased and grew in, in, in his house. Um, I think the first time the word blessing is used is, is where um, God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and uh, male and female. And then he says, and God blessed them. And said to them, be fruitful and multiply, increase, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over it. Okay? So why does God bless? Or what does God bless? God blesses everything that represents his image that reflects his image, that reflects who he is. is. Now it's everything that is good in the world he blesses so that it will increase so that we'll experience more good. Everything that doesn't represent his image, everything that is evil and destructive and bad, he curses so it will decrease and have less influence and and cause less uh, suffering. So even God's cursing is actually part of his mercy, come to think of it. Um, But we want God's blessing and God's blessing comes with his presence. Now the, the strange thing is, Almost everyone wants God's blessing, but not everyone wants God. I've heard it said that even atheists want to go to heaven. They just don't want God to be there. They, they, they want the benefits of God, but they, they don't want God, God himself. Um, and that's, that's human reality. But the, one of the reasons why we'd want the, the, the uh, presence of God is for God's blessing. The other reason is um, David wanted the ark to come to Jerusalem... Because the Ark of the Covenant also represented the rule of God. Now, David was the king of Israel. He, after Saul um, had fallen away and sort of gone off his rocker a bit, David was <laughs> anointed uh, king of Israel by Samuel. Um, and he was first eventually became king over Judah, the two southern tribes, and eventually over the northern tribes. And, and then he moved his kingdom from or the seat of his rule from, from Hebron to Jerusalem. And um, he ruled from there, he ruled Israel, God's kingdom from there. But he wanted, he was a good leader, J- David was a good leader, and he wanted his leadership to reflect God's leadership. He wanted his kingly rule to point to God's kingly rule. And one of the ways in which he could do this was to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. Because, did you read that little phrase where it says... Um, the Lord Almighty or the Lord of hosts enthroned between the cherubim. So that was where God was enthroned. And actually, that was the place, God's throne on earth, and the place from which God spoke to Moses, from between the cherubim. That was God's throne on earth, as it were. And um, David, as any good godly leader, wanted his leadership to point to God's leadership. And he, and he wanted people to see by bringing the Ark of the Covenant that he was only ruling the kingdom of Israel on behalf of God, that God was the ultimate king, that he was just a proxy king, a stand-in king, but that God was the ultimate king. Now, any good Christian leader will do this. You'll want your leadership to point to God's leadership. So if you're a parent and you're leading children, if you want to be a good Christian parent, you've got to ask yourself, how can my leadership as a parent point to God's leadership as the ultimate parent? How can I, in my leadership, reflect God as the ultimate leader so that when I'm no longer there, because I only have one lifetime, or when I'm not there because I'm just you know, limited to a human body, my children will know that God, as their ultimate parent, is still there. And they'll know what he's like and they can follow him. If you're a a leader in your workplace, and I think all of us are either leaders or we will be leaders in some form or another. I've got to ask myself, okay, how can I lead my team at work or wherever in such a way that my leadership points to God's leadership? Okay, just, Just close your eyes for a moment. I just want you to do an exercise. Just close your eyes for a moment. Think of a situation in which you lead, whether it's one person or many people. Just any situation in which you lead or can lead. And then I want you to think, how can you in that situation cause your leadership to point to God's leadership? Maybe you need to ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, how how can my leadership point to your leadership? So one reason we want the, the ark or the presence of God is God's blessing. Another reason, God's rule. But a third re- reason that David had why he wanted to bring the ark of the covenant back is was more personal reason. He loved the presence of God. I think you could even say he lusted after the presence of God. Um, I mean, you, you, you can see it everywhere in the Psalms that David wrote says, God, you are my God, earnestly will I seek you. Um, as a deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you, O oh God. Um, one day in your presence is better than a thousand outside. And, and, and David absolutely loved God's presence because in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. So David wanted God's presence just because he had a personal, a deep personal need for God's presence. Um, and I think without realizing it, all of us, um, whether we realize it or not, all of us have um, a similar need for God's presence. Now, David had all these reasons why he wanted God's presence, why he wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant back. And, and we can see clearly how powerful this is when you contrast it to King Saul. Because if you go back, um, the Ark of the Covenant was lost when um, the Israelites were fighting the Philistines uh, and Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, the high priest, Uh, who were in sin, brought the Ark of the Covenant, um, but they didn't have any reverence for God. And so Israel was defeated. They they were first defeated, then they said, oh, no, go get the Ark of the Covenant, because we know God's blessing follows God's, you know, the Ark. When the Ark is with us, the Philistines won't beat us. So they had Hophni and Phinehas bring the Ark of the Covenant, but there was so much sin in the camp, so much irreverence towards God's presence, and they were trying to use this sort of as a magic wand, you know, to get what they wanted that they were still defeated. And the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant as plunder, took it to Philistia, put it in the temple of Dagon. And, and you can go and read for yourself, but all kinds of havoc broke loose. I mean, the next morning when they got there, Dagon had fallen on, on, his, on his face in front of the, the Ark of the Covenant. And he was, as it were, worshipping the Ark. Next, you know, put him back on his, on his pedestal. Next day, he's fallen off and his legs and his arms have broken off and his head is broken off and all kinds of stuff. And they said, no, we don't want... You know this thing in the temple. Send it to one of the cities, and tumors break out in the city. And they're sending it from, you know, pillar to post. And eventually, they say, no, this this thing, you know, is too dangerous. We must send it back to Israel. And they put it on a on a ox cart. Um, actually, they put it on a on a on a new cart. Uh, and they take a a cow that has just um, given birth, and they hitch it to the cart. And they say, and they know that maternal instinct of that cow will naturally causes it to go back to its calf, which is lowing in the background. And, and they let the, the cow go, and, and, it, and against its maternal instinct, it, it, it goes lowing you know, as it goes pulling the cart back to Israel, you know, which was a sign to them that you know God is leading this thing back to Israel. Um, but if, it ended up in Abinadab's house on the border of Israel. And just a little while after that... Um, well, it actually during that time that, that Saul was crowned as king of Israel. And during his whole reign, he left the ark right there on the periphery of his kingdom, on the edge of his kingdom. Because unlike David, he had no need for the presence of God, for the ark of the covenant. And it, it just shows you this ambivalent relationship that Saul had with the presence of God and with God himself. David had a desperate, deep need. He wanted God's presence because he wanted God's blessing. He wanted God's rule. He wanted fellowship and intimacy with God. But Saul, he didn't want that. And now, many Christians like that. They're happy to have God at a distance. Sort of just at the periphery of the experience. But we've got to be more like David. We've got to really um, long for God's presence. So, we have a need for God's presence, but then, as the Philistines also discovered, um, there's the danger of God's presence. Um, David brought the ark back to Jerusalem, and he brought it, number one, drawn on a new cart, drawn by oxen. In other words, the way the Philistines had transported the ark of the covenant. okay, The same way the Philistines had done it. And so often we make that mistake, don't we? We want the presence of God, but we try and bring the presence of God back in the world's way. You know, we think that you know if we um, if we hype people up, you know, and have the best music and have smoke machines and you know whatever else. Now, nothing g- wrong with good music, you know, and I can even tolerate smoke machines, but those things don't bring the presence of God, you know. And if we try and substitute the presence of God for that with that, you know, it's a difference between anointing and atmosphere. Anyway. Um, but so often we think that the world's way can bring back uh, God's presence, you know. Um, and it can't. Um, so drawn, a, a new cart drawn by oxen, led by Uzziah and Ohio, the sons of Abinadab. And they were of Judah. In other words, they weren't Levites. They were from the tribe of Judah. They weren't Levites. Now the Levites were supposed to carry the ark. But now you have uh, these guys from Judah leading the ark on an ox cart. <coughs> leaving, <coughs> sorry. But he brought, David brought it with a massive procession. I mean, 30,000 guys, 30,000 of his best soldiers were leading this ark back. Now, why did David have the 30,000 soldiers? Was he afraid of being attacked? Was it sort of a defensive thing, you know? He was afraid someone's going to steal the ark of the covenant. I mean, it had been 20 years that had been at David's house on the border of Israel. If someone wanted to steal it, they could have stolen it there very easily. So it wasn't for defensive reasons that he had 30,000 people. Why did he? Because he wanted to show Israel this is a big deal. You know, I can imagine 50,000 troops, you know, mobilizing them, housing them, feeding them, you know, organizing them, you know, to travel with you, you know, in this ark. This is a big deal. It's expensive. It's a lot of effort. But for, for David, it was all worth it because he wanted to show the people of Israel the presence of God, the ark of the covenant is a big deal to me. It's important to me. I don't want you to miss this. I want to draw a lot of attention to this thing. And they were dancing and shouting and screaming. It actually says they were, they were celebrating with all their might before the Lord. How does someone look that, that worships God with all their might? I mean, we were worshiping God just now, but I'm not sure we were worshiping on the level that David and those guys were. I mean, they were going wild, dancing, shouting, screaming. I mean, the whole band was there that would have looked, made our wonderful band look minute. I mean, they had... Probably not only dozens, but hundreds of instruments. I mean, how do you lead 30,000 troops in worship? I mean, you need a big band. Especially if you don't have amplification. So they must have had a massive band. I mean, tambourines and ramsons and sistrums. I mean, what's a sistrum? I mean, they even had instruments there that we don't know what they are, you know. <laughs> and they were worshipping and making a big noise and shouting and screaming and dancing and going wild. And then the oxen stumble and user puts out his hand and bang God knocks him dead and he falls down dead there and I can just imagine this scene everything goes quiet like whoosh, and everyone's like looking at this and someone starts screaming whoa you know and some people back off the ark of the covenant you know and whoa what is this dangerous thing you know what's going on here you know Yuzar just died he touched the ark and he died can you believe it you know and David's angry and he's upset and he's afraid how can the ark of God come to me where can I put this thing, you know, and he's looking around, and there, Obed-Edom's house, you know, take it there, you know, and Obed-Edom is, no, I don't want this thing, it's dangerous, you know. (laughs) Now, (laughs) you look at this situation, and it's like, what's going on here, you know, why, why did Obed-Edom die, why did Yuza die, you know, Why, why did God strike him dead, And many non-Christians look at this and say, you see, that's exactly why I'm not a Christian. That's exactly why I don't believe in that God of yours, because he's a grumpy God, and he's he's nitpicky, has his nitpicky little rules, you know, don't touch my stuff, don't touch my ark, otherwise I'm going to smite you. That's exactly why I don't believe in your God, you know? You see there, it's exactly the reason, you know? Is, Is that it? Is it just, was God... You know, grump, is he a grumpy old man? Is he, you know, doesn't he want us to touch his stuff? You know, the, doesn't he want us to break his rules, his little nitpicky rules and, and laws? Is that the reason why User struck user dead? I don't think so. I think there's more going on here. You see, one of, one of the best ways to teach um, slow learners is with object lessons. Now, <coughs> user, Let me tell you first why I think it's not just because... User broke the rules that God struck him dead. The Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be transported by the Levites, carrying the Ark with, golden, with poles overlaid with gold, stuck through golden um, rings that were at the corners of the Ark of the Covenant. So even the Levites who carried the Ark weren't supposed to touch the Ark. They were supposed to carry it on poles. Not transported with, with an ox guard, but by the Levites carrying it on poles. Okay, So in other words they'd already broken the rules by picking up the ark and putting it on an ox cart and transporting it with an ox cart. If God wanted to kill people just because they were breaking the rules or every time they broke the rules, a lot of people would have been dead already. Okay. So I don't think it's just because User broke the rules. I think there's more going on there. I do think, I mean, remember, the ark of the covenant had been in User's house for more than 20 years. He grew up around the Ark of the Covenant. He'd probably grown a bit blasé and familiar with the Ark of the Covenant and the presence of God. And God was saying um, to the Israelites in a very dramatic and powerful way, listen, this irreverence for my presence is something I've got a nip in the bud because this irreverence for my presence is the very thing that caused the Ark of the Covenant to be taken by the Philistines and to be outside of Israel in the very first place because Hophni and Phinehas, who were the priests, the sons of the high priest Eli, were sleeping around with a woman in the tabernacle around where the Ark of the Covenant was. And in other words, this irreverence was the very reason the Ark of the Covenant had departed from Israel in the first place. And for your benefit and in my mercy, I need to stop this irreverence, which Uzziah epitomizes, because he'd grown up and become so familiar with the Ark of the Covenant. And, And there are two lessons that we can learn from this. First lesson that we learned from Yuza's death is we are much more sinful than we realize. Okay, we are much more sinful than we realize. See, one of the mistakes that Yuza made was he thought when the oxen stumbled, he thought that his sinful hands were cleaner than the dusty ground. He thought that the dusty ground would defile the Ark of the Covenant more than his dirty hands, his sinful hands. And he was wrong. God was saying, you're wrong. The dusty ground is cleaner than your sinful hands. Lesson number one, we're more sinful than we realize. Now some of you might say, ah, you know, typical preacher, you're exaggerating again. You don't know me. I'm a nice guy. I'm basically good. Ask my family, ask my friends, they love me, I'm nice, I'm a good guy, you know? What's all this sinful, dirty hand nonsense, you know? Uh, Yeah, I tell lies now and then, and you know, maybe cheat on my taxes a bit here and there, or you know, I'll get a bit of road rage and throw a few road signs, you know, at taxis passing by, Uh, but I'm a nice guy, you know? (laughs) Yeah. If I'm right, and if this passage is right, and we are more sinful than we realize, then we will think we are less sinful than we are. The more sinful you are, the less sinful you think you are. Because the more sinful you are, the more you are desensitized to sin. So the very fact that we think we are not so sinful actually proves how sinful we are. Boy... That's lesson number one. We are more sinful than we realize, than we think we are. Lesson number two is God is not Jerry Maguire. Okay, the text doesn't say that. Who have you seen the movie Jerry Maguire? Only a handful, okay. Story, um, Tom Cruise plays the lead role, and he's a sports agent, um, and he's managing... He's, he's being the agent for an American football player pl- uh, played by Cuba Gooding Jr. Uh, so he has to represent him, you know, get a better contract for him and you know, better deals and all that kind of stuff. And um, at one stage, they're speaking on the phone. I, th- I think it's on the f- over the phone. And, and uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. says to Tom Cruise, who, is, who plays Jerry Maguire, Help me! Help me! You know. <clears throat> Obviously, help me make more money and help me get a better deals and so on. And then Jerry Maguire answers, help me help you. (laughs) Help me help you. So this incident shows us that God is not Jerry Maguire. He doesn't want us to help him help us. God doesn't say, help me help you. We cannot help him. We cannot help ourselves. And the mistake that Yuza and David, by implication, made is they thought they could help God help them. God's going to help us by bringing His presence, the Ark of the Covenant, His blessing, you know, His favor, His rule, all that kind of stuff. He's going to help us, but we've got to help Him help us. Now, Christianity is the only religion in the world that I know of where we cannot help God help us. All other religions, you either bring... A good track record to the god of that religion and say here yeah, based on my good track record you must accept me now if it's islam it's like the scales of justice and if you have 51% good works and only 49% bad works the scales are in your favor and you can enter paradise and have your 70 high-breasted maidens and whatever else is seen as as heaven you know in in, in that theology but it, the point is you bring your good works you bring your track record with God, you need a perfect track record. 51% might be good enough for Allah, but it's not good enough for Yahweh. <laughs> you need 100%. <laughs> okay? And no one has that. Christianity is the only religion where you, if you want to come to God based on a track record, you have to bring a perfect track record. And none of us has that. Um, Dr. Kone Becker, um, I've heard him a few times say that you know, when he goes to a, to a bookstore and he goes to the Christian section and he finds a Christian self help book, he takes it out of, the self, out of the Christian section and he goes to put it into the fantasy section where it belongs. <laughs> because there is no such thing as Christian self help. God helps us, we cannot help ourselves. And, and that was the mistake that Yuza that made. You thought God was Jerry Maguire, you thought God was saying, Help me help you. God is not Jerry Maguire. So David responds and he becomes, firstly, angry and afraid. How can the ark ever come to me? And, and you can see this tension between our need for the presence of God, the ark, and the danger of the ark. You know, And you can understand David's dilemma and his fear. I mean, that's the natural way in pe- that people respond when they realize that God's presence can be a bit dangerous. They respond with fear and anger sometimes. And many people are angry with God because of similar situations. Um, How can the ark come to me? Um, You know, I almost want to go so far as to say that many churches are soul churches. Happy to have the presence of God on the periphery. It's there, but we don't really experience it. We don't really interact with it. There are many churches like that. But then there are other churches that say, oh, you know, those soul churches that don't value the presence of God, you know, we want to bring the presence of God back, you know. But like you, I have an irreverence for the presence of God, not a respect, a healthy respect for the presence of God. And not handling the presence of God according to the word of God. So you get user churches who at least value the presence of God, but lots of people get hurt there because they're irreverent and they don't respect God. But then you get David churches and David learned, and we're going to see that in a moment, to do not only God's will of bringing back his presence, but doing it God's way. And um, we must be a David church, doing the right thing the right way. Um, you know, a lot of people get angry at God like David did and say, God, you dangerous you're unfair you know user was just trying to help and he was just trying he had good intentions he was just trying to be helpful what are you doing the reality is we usually get angry and afraid of god when we don't want to accept that god is who he says he is when we try and make god to be who we want him to be okay when a moth flies and it flies into the flame of a candle and it you know expires and dies Does that make the flame evil? No, it doesn't make the flame evil. The moth just didn't respect the flame. If you get into your car and you drive at 120 kilometers an hour, bang into a brick wall and you die, does that make the wall evil? No, you just didn't respect the wall for what it is. Right? If you make a big bonfire and light it and make this huge fire and you jump in it, into it and burn to a crisp and die, does that make the fire evil? No, you're just not respecting the fire for what it is. Now it's the same with God. So often we want God to be a certain way and then we run ourselves bloody nosed into the reality of who God really is. But God wants to, in his mercy, he reveals that to us. And he He lets us run ourselves silly against the reality of who he is so that we can truly know him. If we want to know someone, if we want to know God, we've got to know him on his terms. We've got to accept who he says he is. So now how do you resolve this tension between needing the presence of God and our need for the presence of God and the danger of the presence of God? How how do you... (laughs) How, how do you bring these two things together? And this this passage tells us: says that, you know, the, David and then went to dump the Ark of the Covenant at Obed Edom's house. It was there for three months, and God blessed Obed Edom and his whole household. And he made sure David heard about it, that it was reported to David, because he wanted David to know: you were right to want my presence, because my presence does bless. But you were wrong in the way that you wanted my presence, because you wanted my presence your way. You tried to bring my presence back the world's way and you didn't want to do it my way. And in that time, David, in those three months, David obviously read his his Bible and he discovered, oops, I made a mistake. We're not supposed to transport the Ark of the Covenant on an ox cart. The Levites are supposed to carry it with their their golden poles. And it says... um, yeah, you know, I, just, I just want to emphasize this. You know, so often we want, to, we want to do the right things, but we want to do it in the wrong way, the world's way. That, that's what that ox cart represents. That's exactly how the Philistines transported the Ark of the Covenant. Let's not only be, do, try and do the right thing, but let's try and do it the right way as God's people. Let's not only be a church of the Spirit, the presence of God, but let's also be a church of the Word. The Word and the Spirit. You know, I always think about it as as two wings of an aeroplane. What's more important, the Word or the Spirit? Well, you know, what's more important, the left wing or the right wing of the aeroplane? You know, if you don't have both, you're not going to fly. And it says, when those who bore the ark had gone six steps. So David had learned his lesson and he had no longer the ox guard transporting, but the Levites carrying the ark. And then, not only did he do it the right way, the Levites carrying it, but every six steps, they would sacrifice. And he was recognizing, yes, we are more sinful than we realize, but God has made provision for that through the blood of the sacrifice. And it's interesting, it's every six steps, six is the number of man, the number of imperfection, seven is the number of perfection, the number of the spirit. Remember the seven steps? Fold lampstand, the menorah, representing the illumination of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is referred to in Isaiah as the sevenfold fold Spirit of God. Right? So, um, you can see where I'm going here. David dances before the ark, and it says, with the linen ephod on. Now, the ephod, same kind of ephod that little Samuel wore when he, became, when, he, when, he when he was Dropped off at um, Eli, the, the high priest, and when he grew up in the temple. It was the priestly garment. So David, even though he was from the tribe of Judah, not Levi, not a descendant of Aaron, he wore the priestly ephod as he danced before the ark. So he was a priest. He wrote psalms, and many of those psalms were prophetic, referring to the greatest son of David who would come after, after him. So he was a prophet, and he was the king of Israel. Okay, King, prophet, priest. And yet, David was a picture pointing to the greater son of David, the true David, who would truly and ultimately and finally bring back the presence of God to be amongst these people. And the son of David, Jesus, didn't have to sacrifice every six steps, but he sacri- uh, you know, sacrificed an ox or a, co- a, gold, a fattened calf every six steps, but he sacrificed himself once for all. So that we can fully experience God's presence. Now, think about this. We can so easily miss, like many skeptics do, the point of this story. And this is, like I'm saying, the gospel, how the ark preaches the gospel to us in a sense. our reaches out and he touches the ark and he dies. We can look at that and think... That it teaches us that God is so committed to keeping people out of his presence that he's willing to to kill them in order to keep them out of his presence. Or we can look at Jesus who fulfills all the pictures, all the symbology, all the typology that this points to. And we can say that God is so committed to getting people into his presence that he's willing to die to draw them closer. God is not willing, God, this doesn't teach us that God is willing to kill to keep people out of his presence. It teaches us that God is himself in Jesus Christ is willing to die to get us into his presence. And just like Uzziah reached out and touched the presence of God as it were, as a sinful man with his dirty hands and died. So Jesus as a sinless man reached out and touched the presence of God and also died. So that we can now experience the presence of God without dying. And Jesus, as it were, takes the presence of God and he pours it out into us, the church, as though we were the new ark of the covenant, the new representative of the presence of God on earth. He pours out God's presence into us. And when we realize that, that despite the fact that we know better than Uzziah and David, we can unashamedly and unafraid, come into God's presence and experience His presence, His blessing presence, His ruling presence, His joyful presence. We will dance before the presence of the Lord more than David did. We will sing more. I mean, David only saw this partially, looking forward in a glass, darkly, prophetically. But we look back and we see Jesus, the Son of, the greatest Son of, the the true David, fulfilling it completely. Giving His life for us so that we can experience All the goodness, all the blessing, all the goodwill, all the benefits of the presence of God without dying. Even though we are far from perfect. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing the extent that God would go to in order to safely draw us into his presence? That is how much he loves you. That is how much he loves you. And if you see that, you will dance like David danced. You will worship like David David worshipped. And and even more so. Let's stand. Just just close your eyes there where you're standing and just focus on the Lord. If you're here this evening and, and maybe you've heard the gospel before, but maybe you, you hadn't understood it before and maybe you're understanding it for the first time and you're realizing yes you know like you i I am more sinful than i realize and i cannot save myself i cannot even help god save me but i i'm not only more sinful than i realize i'm also more loved than i realize because jesus was willing to die for me he was willing to bring back the presence of God as it were, not only at the risk of his life like David, but at the cost of his life for me so that I can experience that. If, if you here this evening and, and you're sort of understanding the gospel for the first time and you want to respond to it, you want to repent and you want to put your faith in this Jesus, the son of David, who touched the presence of God for you so that you can be safely brought into it. If you want to respond to this good news this gospel that he can save you you don't have to save yourself and i just want you to respond and just put up your hand and say that's me i need to do business with god i need to repent i'm going to put my trust in jesus i need to pray is there anyone like that that says i want to respond to this gospel Maybe maybe there are some of you as Christians who are a little bit afraid of God's presence. Maybe even a little bit angry at God. Because He doesn't do things the way you want Him to or because maybe you don't quite understand exactly who He is. But it's our misunderstandings of, God's, of who God is that cause us to be afraid of Him and to be angry at him so I just want you to close your eyes if there's any fear or anger inside of you towards God and I just want you to you know like like with David when he got angry and afraid of God it, it, it wasn't God's fault it was ultimately David's fault he had done things wrong and he later repented and did things right so if, if you have any fear or anger inside of you as a Christian I just want you to bring it before the Lord and say Lord I realize that I'm wrong just like David was wrong and I repent of being angry at you and afraid of you. Please teach me who you really are and please teach me how to walk in your ways. Just in your own words. My prayer for for you as a congregation is that you will not be a soul church that disregards the presence of God or a user church that disrespects the presence of God, but that you'll be a David church that values both the Word and the Spirit, that brings God's presence but God's way. Yes, Lord God, I just want to bless this congregation, this church, and and pray, Lord, that it will be a David church that loves your presence, but that ushers in your presence and experiences your presence your way, according to your word, not according to the world's way, but according to the way of your word in Jesus name Lord I, I want to pray Lord God that it will be a, a church in which the people can walk in and really just sense your presence sense both your holiness your intense almost scary holiness but also your your warm and overpowering love Lord I pray Lord God that that, that this will be a church that accepts you for who you reveal yourself to be and that does not try and make you who we want you to be. Lord, you are the great I am. You are the one who is and the one who causes all else to be. You are the uncreated creator of all things that recreates everything that is broken and sinful into something new and beautiful. And you reveal yourself to us through your word and your spirit. And we pray, Lord God, that we will love you for who you are, even when we don't understand fully who you are. And I pray, Lord, that people from all over Secunda will stream to this church to come and learn who the true God is and what he's like, and that they'll find these even more beautiful, wonderful, powerful, majestic, mysterious than they thought he was. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you.